You're listening to The Good Faith, a podcast dedicated to applying historic Christian thinking to today's issues of faith, family, books, and culture. With your host, pastor, parent, and perpetual student of theology and culture, Chad Graham. Over the past few weeks, we have been discussing the Nicene Creed. This is the first great global or ecumenical statement of the whole of the Christian believing community as to what it really meant to be a Christian, what it was that Christians believe. First gathered in 325 and then again in 381, significant Christian leaders from all of the major church communities from all across the Roman world and even beyond gathered together at Nicaea and then Constantinople and spent significant amounts of time in debate and discussion and dialogue, trying to make sure that they all came up with a consensus of what was believed and rooted in the rule of faith, which had been around since the beginning of Christianity. The fundamental beliefs of Christians were laid down and expressed. It comes in three articles. The first article of God, we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, second article of the Lord Jesus Christ, we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. And the third article of the Holy Spirit, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. Focusing on the first article, we see that we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is, visible and invisible. In the second century, the greatest theologian of that era, St. Irenaeus of Lyon, a man who personally knew Polycarp, a teacher who was personally discipled by the Apostle John, passed on what the fathers and apostles had explained of Jesus Christ's own teaching. Many believe that ultimately what we see in the rule of faith is a sort of summary exposition of what Jesus revealed on the road to Emmaus, and it's sort of a guideline by which we are to read the scriptures, the sort of hermeneutical key that helps us to understand the message. And Irenaeus begins by reminding us that it is necessary that things that have come into being have received the origins of their being, arche yonasios in Greek, the beginning of their being, from some great cause. And the origin of all is God. For he himself was not made by anyone, but everything was made by him. And therefore it is proper, first of all, to believe that there is one God, the Father, who has created and fashioned all things, who made that which was not to be, who contains all and is alone uncontainable. Moreover, in this all is our world, and in this world man. Thus this world was also created by God. Now, Irenaeus and the Creed really pick up on the fact that there is a creator, a truth more or less universally recognized. Yes, there are a handful of atheists in the world. There are a few more agnostics who aren't sure, but recognize the possibility. But the vast majority of people of all times and all places have recognized that the reason that there is something instead of nothing is that somebody put it here. Christians understand that somebody or that process is the process of creation by God. 
in the Greco-Roman world, there was an understanding of God as creator. And in that sense, it is said that he was known as the father of all, the, the father of creation, the, the father of mankind. So it is possible, as Irenaeus speaks there, that he's really relating what he is saying to that culture in Greco-Roman world. And there's probably some truth to that even in the inclusion of Father in the Creed, but it also says that he's the maker of heaven and earth. So it's very likely that there's a little bit of a nuanced difference in the meaning of Father. And that comes because God is primarily revealed to us through Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear. As John chapter 1 and verse 18 puts it, No one has ever seen God, but the only God, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. The God who is at the Father's side is, of course, the God Jesus Christ, who we learn from the Creed is the Son of God, God of very God. In an earlier episode, I already discussed the idea of the Trinity, that we believe in one God who exists in three persons. And that can be found in the sixth episode and available at chadwgram.com. Moving on from that understanding, when we say that we believe in one God, we recognize we believe in him in that one God and three persons Trinitarian way, we want to focus on the first person of the Trinity for just a couple of minutes. God who is the Father of Jesus Christ. As Christians, we believe that because we experience God that way. When we're brought into the body of Christ, when we're baptized into the church, we enter into Christ's body. We enter into the life of Christ. Second Peter puts it this way. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. One of the great shorthand forms for the process of salvation in Scripture, or the reality, rather, of salvation in Scripture, is that we are in Christ. We are in Him. In Him, we are a new creation. And incorporated into Christ, we share in the very special relationship He has with God, the Creator of the universe. He is the only begotten Son of God. God is his Father. And Jesus, in his incarnation, prayed and cried out to his Father, Abba, Father, in terms of relationship and endearment. Because we are in Christ, we are invited to the same relationship with the Father. The beginning of John's Gospel says, To all who did receive him, that's Jesus, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We are born of God and his children. We are specifically his sons because of our relationship to Christ. So we are heirs to all the glorious promises of God. This is an absolutely huge blessing and concept for the many who living in this broken world live in the absence of fathers, Fathers who have abandoned them, fathers who have passed away, or fathers who are cruel and wrong. Earthly fathers are supposed to show us something of what the Heavenly Father is like, but their failures, just as well as their goodness, can show it to us, 
because we know our Heavenly Father is always good. As another early church leader, Tertullian, said, God is a perfect Father. He is a Father in His mercy. He is a Father in, his, in the mildness of His power. And He is a Father who must be loved with dutiful affection. He is to be loved because He prefers mercy to sacrifice. He is to be loved because He prefers the sinner's repentance to His death. And our Father is the maker of heaven and earth. That is, He is greater than all created things. This is why Paul can say in the 8th chapter of Romans, in verse 38, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those odd terms that we find in that passage, angels, rulers, powers, or anything else in all of creation, those are little hints pointing us into one of the great mysteries of life. There are things greater than what we can see. Christianity believes in a great mystery. For everything that we can see in the visible world, there is also an invisible reality. This is sometimes referred to as a sacramental view of life. Although that word can distract us by affiliating us with a particular doctrinal stream that has been around and in contention in a particular area of the Christian faith, all that it really means is that things in the physical world can represent things that are in the invisible world. And God our Father, the Almighty, is the maker of heaven and earth of all that is visible and invisible. He created the heavens. He created the invisible realm. He created spiritual beings. We typically know them, and maybe from popular literature, as the angels and the demons, but these other words that Paul uses are other words for some of the spiritual creatures. God has, according to the scripture in, for example, Psalm 82, a divine council of gods. Now, this is not because Christians are not monotheistic or believers in one God. When we say that, there is one God with a big G, one creator of heaven and earth, period. But there are supernatural beings who are part of God's family who are not part of the Godhead. They're not of the Trinity. They're not God himself. They are not the creators. But they are the gods in a sort of popular sense. They are the spiritual beings. They are these things that Paul calls rulers and powers and other places principalities and in Psalm 82 as I said they're called the divine council today our world is filled with with all kinds of literature stories and this is of course the same in the ancient Greco-Roman world that is filled with supernatural elements we can't get enough of vampires and superheroes and aliens and the reality of scripture is that there's kind of something to that there's kind of a grand adventure out there Sometimes these things don't strike us as adventures, though. Sometimes these strike us as fearful. We're scared of the dark. We're scared of what's below the bed. We're scared of what is in the thick wood. Oh, but the Christian belief is so wonderful here because it reminds us that God is the Almighty. He is the maker of heaven and earth and all that is visible and invisible. And so none of these things can ever separate us from the love of God. He has power over all things visible and invisible, and we must never be afraid. We need never be afraid. 
as Martin Luther said in his great hymn, A Mighty Fortress, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That word, above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours, through him who with us sided. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill. God's truth abideth still, his kingdom is forever. We have a forever God who has made us his children in Christ. And by entering into Christ, by being in him and becoming partakers of the divine nature, we have an eternal future. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. And part of that truth comes at the end of the creed. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Because God is our Father. We have a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. A relationship of love like a perfect, loving Father ought to have. A Father who protects us, cares for us, listens to us, nurtures us, cherishes us, and knows what's best for us. Because He is almighty, maker of heaven and earth, all things visible and invisible, we need fear nothing, for He is more powerful than anything else. As the Apostle John says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And yet, with him we get to partake of the adventure of a greater world, a greater cause, a greater good, a higher purpose, and the glorious mystery of a reality in which all things visible correspond to something invisible. There is eternal life, and it is ours, because we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is visible and invisible. for listening to the Good Faith Podcast. For more episodes, related articles, and additional information, visit chadwgraham.com. For resources related to the topics in this podcast, or for more episodes, visit chadwgraham.com. There you'll find the Good Faith site, where I have uh, other writings in which I explore various things in faith, family, books, and culture in both audio and article resources. My quotations from the early church fathers come from the Ancient Christian Doctrine series, edited by Gerald Bray and Thomas Oden. The Nicene Creed is readily available online. And I recommend John Bear's edition of Irenaeus' Apostolic Preaching, from which I also quoted.
The music that we have been enjoying in the background comes from the Tudor Consort and their track Curia Laison, which is protected under a Creative Commons copyright license, which allows use with attribution.